everyone, I'm Madeline Park, stylist and vintage fashion hound. I believe everything has a story, whether it be clothes or the people that wear them. For season two of Style Stories, I want to get out of the house, but find a place where I still felt at home, like Lucio's, the iconic Italian restaurant known for its colour and charm. My guests tip their hat to Lucio's by seasoning their stories with a taste of art, food and family, but always bringing to the table their unique sense of style. Today I'm chatting with Silvia Coloca, Italian-born food writer, TV producer and host. Silvia comes with an impressive cachet of creative titles, which also include opera singer and actress. However, her recipe for self-expression is simple and like her cooking, aims to honour the core ingredients. Sylvia was raised in Milan, but it's her more humble Abruzzo roots that define her understated sensuality, her serious humour and her unadorned passion. And it's this delicious mix of contrasting ingredients that makes Sylvia's style so intriguing and so enticing. While Sylvia likes to keep things simple, I wanted to throw light onto her star qualities and have styled her in a Camilla blouse with celestial signifiers and a reclaimed sequin skirt from Age, available at madelinepark.co. I hope you can sit back, relax and enjoy listening to Sylvia's story. Thank you, Sylvia, for coming and joining me at Lucio's today. Um, it's such a pleasure to have you here um, because like Lucio, you both have strong uh, homage to your Italian heritage and your cooking um, and you both uh, celebrate the ingredient uh, but there's a fine simplicity to what you do. Oh, thanks. <laughs> My pleasure. <laughs> <In a nutshell>. <laughs> <laughs> um, getting into it, I want to know growing up, did you have a simple upbringing? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, I grew up in Milan, um, the last of three siblings, mum and dad, and my brother, my sister and I. Um, and uh, it, it, was, it was, you know, an ordinary upbringing. Um, we weren't wealthy, we weren't poor. We, you know, mm, when I was little, mum didn't used to work she was sort of uh, focused on raising us so the the belt was a bit tighter for sure I yeah. remember you know dad getting second hand or third hand cars and us getting super excited about them and I remember the first time dad um, got a, a second hand car but had air conditioning that was in the 90s yeah and uh, it was like wow because you know every summer then we used to take this maiden trip down to Abruzzo where my mum was born and right. we still had the little family home there and it was a seven hours drive, but in, in the heat of summer, yeah. three kids in the back seat, no <laughs> air conditioning, not fun. No, no. Not fun. <laughs> and it also had a radio, which we never had before. We used to just sing in the car, which, yeah. you know, again, fun and then not fun. <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't, wouldn't necessarily last <laughs> not, the seven hour seven distance. Hours. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, and then um, my mum then started her own business and, and, um, and um, and she got really busy, and so I, w I think I went from, you know, being raised in a family where the mo the Italian mother was, you know, present and cooking meals, mm -hmm. lunch and dinners, to my mum then becoming like this really power woman at her job and having this amazing career that she only started in her late thirties. Right. And then she was working two jobs and started her own business, and so all of a sudden, when I was, I think I was about twelve. 
this all change and she became this other, you know. What kind of business did she have? Um, she Well, she first started doing consultancies for a, for a geotechnician okay. um, and she was one of, in, she's in the committee of the people that saved the Leaning Tower of Pisa. So oh, like, fantastic. Super cool. <laughs> yeah. Like, super cool stuff. Yeah. Um, and, um, um, and so, but then she started her own travel agency and, and, and so all of a sudden we came from, you know, home cooked meals to frozen lunches yeah, coming right. on from school, yeah. um, which, you know, as teenagers, uh, it was fine. And mum wasn't home all the time. Yay. <laughs> Who's going to do homework now, which obviously reflected in my school results for, for a while until I could pull my finger out. Um, and, you know, and then Saturday or Sunday lunches at various, at the two grandmas. Um, yeah. So my paternal grandma, uh, she was from Emilia Romagna, so she was like the gnocchi and the tortellini queen. And then my other nonna, my maternal nonna, she was from Abruzzo. And so we had like the polenta with sausage and homemade pasta and yeah. and just, you know, simple family time and, and yeah, road tr- uh, family holidays were road trips yeah. and uh, a lot of fighting with my siblings. So you have a, a brother and a sister? Yeah. 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 And we, we, sorry, what's, where are you in the pecking I'm, order? I'm the last. Yeah, the baby, um, yeah. So, yeah, I was picked on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I, having, as I mentioned before, I come from a Greek background, so we, you know, I think the cultures have an affinity to each other, but, Definitely. you know, my childhood memories are also, you know, growing up eating at my grandmother's house, but with lots of cousins around oh, yeah, and yeah, the, cousins that big extended family. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I grew up, I, I say that I've got two siblings, but really it was the five of us. It was also my closest, like, cousins, first cousins, Elena and Georgia. We were always together. Yeah. My mum's middle sister's children because we were all close in age and it was, like, real chaos when we were all together. But the best family memories for me of the five of us together. Yeah. Yeah. So you grew up in Milan, um, and Milan is, you know, a big city, Mm. uh, but also really well-known for its fashion. Mm. How did that affect you as a child growing up in a city known for fashion? Because as the the last of three and as the fourth in the cousin group yes I was just getting hand-me-downs right okay like (laughs) three times over yeah (laughs) so (laughs) that didn't affect me that much sadly right um yeah I think uh I think it was only later in life than you know when I I started earning my money and and I could buy myself things and I was like I can buy myself that and then I look at the price tag and realized I can't find myself that, but that's okay. But, you know, I can, I can aspire to yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And you start appreciating that clothing is just not something that you put on to layer up for, you know, mm. cold Italian winter or strip down for hot Italian summer. Um, it's, you know, an artistic form of expression sure. as much as, you know, singing, acting, yeah. cooking. yeah. So speaking of <laughs> the biscotti, yeah, no, I have to dunk. Yeah, I've got biscotti. I've got coffee. This is gonna make the recording a bit messy, but oh, no, uh, I'm sorry. It will just add to the ambience. Yeah, no. good, good crunching. Yeah, noises. yeah. <laughs> um, mm. If you were the recipient of the hand-me-downs, if you you were mm-hmm. right down there on the pecking order of of, of clothing, was, was there anything as a child um, that you kind of held on to that you kind of feel like started to shape? Anything my sister had. Right. I grew up with a beautiful older sister. Uh, you know, I wanted to be her. Yeah. And anything she had or anything anything she wore, 
anything she said was like, <gasps> that's, yeah, <laughs> that's the standard. So, right. Yeah. Is she creative as well? She no, no. She's like, she, she, at some point in her life, she thought she was going to become a scientist. That sort of never, never happened, but that's where her mind is. Right. She's, she's got an analytical pragmatic <laughs> mind like we could not be more different if yeah. we tried yes. we look similar but that's where it ends do you think that there was when you were kind of growing up as a teenager and you were trying to identify yourself that you kind of departed from looking up to her um, and finding no, the answer no I don't think or? that that was that was, um, that was at play um, because I, I just all from the get go from anyone can remember the earliest memories of me is me just performing right in the house. Yeah. We just could not shut up. <laughs> Apparently, that's what my mum says. We could not switch you off. <laughs> it was like, you were so lovely and so, so chatty. Yeah. All the time. Yeah, always singing. Mm. Yeah. yeah, just always everything. Performing. And so it was like, yeah, too much. Yeah. <laughs> too much. That's the note. Um, you actually described yourself like your uh, husband's coffee machine at home uh, Italian and temperamental <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I'd like to think of it as passionate mm. is the, the yeah exactly it doesn't have to be a bad thing it makes good coffee yeah, yeah. so the end result must is be appreciated great. yes and nurtured yes yes definitely was oh it God. a passionate household that you grew up in like were you a uh, yes, look, it was very vocally, very passionate. The, you know, the arguments between mum and dad, every, everyone could hear in the neighbourhood, but <laughs> everyone could hear everybody else's arguments. Yeah. I think this is just how Italians express themselves. And the thing is, we just get it out of our chest. Yeah. And then there's like doom and gloom for a bit. And then it's dinner time again and yeah. everybody sits down at the table and it's like, oh, this is really yummy. <laughs> well, food <laughs> solves some... lots of problems, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yes. So, I re- yeah. That's um that's an adjustment I had to I had to make when I moved away from uh, the Mediterranean culture mm-hmm. uh, where it's like oh I can't say that yeah oh I can but mm. <laughs> it's then might cause a few it issues. might be a bit, bit much yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> so as as a teenager you're obviously you know your your sense of passion and um, your kind of desire to perform it's been there from a, a child. Yeah, yeah. But you're, you're obviously a trained opera singer and an actress. When did you kind of find those arts in yourself? And um, Well, look, I, I, I always wanted to do that. Uh, but then I think it was... Um, I, I first started with, with, with the acting. Mum and Dad was were very supportive. And mm. so they, they, they enrolled me into acting school quite early on. And... Um, and um, and then I started doing voice training there, and I remember one of the music teachers suggesting, "Oh, you might you might just need to get like proper vocal coaching. You've got mm-hmm. like there's an instrument in there. I'm not super qualified for." Yeah. And so I started doing that, and 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 my more professional, so qualified singing teacher at the time thought, "Have you ever thought of doing opera?" And I'm like, "Nah. Yeah. I've never been to one. I don't." It wasn't wow, part that's of like how I you... listen to Metallica. What are you talking yeah. about? <laughs> and it's like, but because it was the most, ex- again, it was the most extreme thing they could ever throw at me. I'm like, I'm gonna have a red hot go. Yeah, yeah. And so I did, and um, and uh, and I, I did, you know, the five year um, singing um, course in Milan, and um, uh, yes, and. Uh, 
it, it was true. There was a, there was an operatic voice in there, and uh, it still is. But it's not like it's there dormant. They have to keep it trained, otherwise it goes away like muscle mass. Yeah, kind of have to keep. It's Practicing. an instrument that if you don't practice, it just gets rusty. Yeah, yeah. So the, you have this contrast of being a, a, a teenager that liked Metallica. Mm-hmm. To, to someone studying a classical instrument, as you yeah. say. How did that kind of it, it change you or it, it, did you culturally oh. did you start to oh, shift look, other things? It's funny because, um, okay, so because I came to music, a, a, a lot of people discover music earlier on in their lives mm. and they, are this, they either learn an instrument when they're young or... You know, to start singing lessons a lot younger. I was, I think, I was about twenty-two at the time. I had already started another um, a teaching degree at the time, okay. and, and so I let that one go and and switched to music. But I had zero training. I had never done it before, so I had to learn all of it at that age. Which is, a bit, it's like learning a second language when you're not a child. Mm. Um, but I was definitely very determined, and um, and uh, what it did. It, it made me really obsessive about music because, you know, when you discover a new passion, that's probably something that happens to most people. And, and, and I remember there was a time when I was um, two or three years into, into my, my music learning that anything, any sound I would hear, like the, the train whistling past or like the bus, I would break it down into musical notes. And, mm. and it was like, oh, God, this is a bit much. <laughs> this is so intense. But going back to like heavy metal and stuff, mm-hmm. I started appreciating the fact that those musicians know a lot more about music and composition than we give them credit for. And yeah. some of those scores, like some of those songs play out, are, are built as proper scores and have a big operatic um, feel to them and some of them are, have been performed by big orchestras as well mm. so look it's it's just it's just music yeah, the, yeah those are the notes yeah you do whatever you want with them it it, it but it's a, obviously a very passionate expressive yeah form. and it's loud and opera yeah. singing is really loud yeah as well yeah, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> and deep and and um I guess it's it's very performance based and That's true. Uh, it's heavily costumed as anything you do yeah, in the yeah. acting world. I suppose traditional presentational operatic performances are yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a new there's there's new trends happening these days and it's uh it's uh it's a lot more fashion forward. Yeah. I mean I did an opera um, a few years ago here in Sydney where the costumes were by um, age. Oh, right. Yeah. What you're wearing is exactly. your, your so, vintage item today. Yes. yes. <laughs> oh, that's excellent. Yeah, so yeah. Where, what opera was that? Sorry. Uh, Orpheus and oh, Eurydice. Right, okay. Yeah. yeah, and so what were your costumes like? Um, oh, so beautiful. The, uh, I was wearing like this incredible, this long um, black uh, floor-length skirt mm. and this beautiful crisp white Shirt, and you know, I was I was this mourning widow traveling into the underworld to rescue my lover. Yeah, uh, and um, and it, the story of Orpheus and, and Eurydice is, is really tragic because uh, Eurydice, Eurydice dies, and Orfeo Orpheus travels into the underworld and strikes a path, a, a pact with the gatekeeper, saying, "Okay, you can go back." And find your lover, but you cannot look at her, and you cannot tell her why you can't look at her. Right. And so it's this is 
passionate love and Orpheus travels back into the underworld and fights off all the mean spirits and all the, uh, you know, the monsters and finally finds his beautiful wife or her beautiful wife in, in our case and he can't look at her and she's like, why can't you look at me? And so there's this like really animated argument in Italian because yeah. the opera is in Italian which is like, why aren't you looking at me? I mean, I've been dead. Yeah. <laughs> now I'm speaking to you yeah. and you give me your shoulders. And it's like, and then in the end, it's like, he's so tormented. She, oh, sorry, I should say she, because in that production, we decided to keep them both female. Yeah. She's so tormented. It's like, oh, I'm driven to, like, driven crazy. And she turns around. And of course, then Euridice dies for good. Right. It's like, oh, <laughs> what? <laughs> what have I done? <laughs> It's your fault. <laughs> so um, um, the costumes were um, really beautiful and dramatic, but um, also really um, uh, kept... Um, they, they weren't taking over from the music, you yeah. know what I mean? They yeah. were really balanced. And I mean, um, Euridice was played by Catherine Bouchier. <laughs> she, she's like this six-foot goddess with yeah. long curly hair, and she yeah. was wearing like a gold... <laughs> dress yeah floor length gold dress so and yet the the singing and the music wasn't overpowered by that beauty right so obviously um the the passion that you feel in the roles that you play like uh Mm. you mentioned kind of seemed to feed into how you present yourself you you come across as a beautifully passionate person um do, do you find that when you are in costume that that starts to then uh, impact you as much as maybe the emotional kind of component of taking on a role? It does help. Yeah. It definitely helps. Um, there's, there's, some, there's something, and, and, and I don't know if, it, if all performers feel this way, but I know a lot of them do where, you know, you, you start building your character in the makeup room and in the costume mm. um, uh, room because um it, you know you, you start building the outer you work on the inside yeah and then you start seeing the outer layers as well and then they all combine and uh, it, it definitely it gives you like a different posture as well i mean singing opera in trainers and singing it in heels it's a bit different yeah yeah <laughs> so given that um given you were you met your husband on set yes dressed as dracula's wife him yes. being dracula do you think you know, being in character, being in your costume helped ignite the fire between you. Well, because we actually met, we met at the read through of um, of, uh, of the screenplay. So we were not in costume. We were in sort of civilian yeah. outfits, yeah. not not looking <laughs> in like mufti, vampires. Yeah, yeah mufti day. Um, and uh, and I knew him from Moulin Rouge, oh, and so right. I expected him to look like Duke from Moulin Rouge. Yeah. It doesn't. <laughs> it didn't. And so I walk into this room um, full of really attractive people, Hugh Jackman, Dave Wenham, and then this guy comes smiling at me and I'm like... <laughs> and one of my other female colleagues um, spotted it straight away and she said, like, oh, you fancy him. And I'm like, don't be stupid. That's ridiculous. And I did. It was like that smile that he gave me and, yeah. and also thought... Oh, it doesn't look like the Duke. <laughs> <laughs> that was makeup. <laughs> yeah. 
I was quite young. Um, and so, um, and then it was actually really hilarious to see him in costume and, and for him to see me in costume because, you know, we, when we weren't even dating at the time, it took, it took us quite a while to start dating. But it was a long shoot, luckily. Yeah. Um, but yes, it was, um, it was quite hilarious. Good role play. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so you, you've obviously had a, a long, successful marriage, but you, I assume your marriage is part of what's brought you to Australia. It is essentially what yeah. has brought me here. Yeah. yeah. But you you had had fantasies of Australia as a young girl, is that I right? I did, I did. <laughs> when I was little, we, I used to watch this cartoon. It was a Japanese cartoon that was really popular in Italy at the time, in the 80s. And it was called Lucy May, and it was about this English girl that, um, you know, back in the days were the first settlers yeah. that migrated to Australia with her family and how, you know, they rebuilt their lives in Australia. And I was so fascinated. And, and it was one of those cartoons that go, went on forever. It was like big soap opera saga right. of a cartoon. And everybody watched it in Italy and, you know, at school. And we, you know, we used to collect like trading cards and everything. And, and I remember thinking, I want go to Australia and have, oh, sorry, and nice. have my own strawberry farm and play with kangaroos yeah. and have a dingo <laughs> pup because that's what you do yeah. when you live in Australia. Uh, yeah, of course yeah. you do, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so you moved here in 2009, is that right? Yeah, yeah. permanently, yeah. yeah. Oh, you know, we'd, we'd come in and out if Richard had work and, uh, and for Christmas and, you know, to be with his family and stuff, but we were mainly located in the UK. Okay. And then um, when the GFC hit, and yes. we just had to basically run run away. Yeah, quickly. yeah. And so, yeah, and then all of a sudden I was Lucy May, yeah. and I had to make my life here. So you've you yeah. gone from being in, you know, Milan and London and I assume travelling throughout. Well, I'm also close to my family. Yeah. And, yeah, and all my friends, Yeah. You know, to having to, you know, be in, in a completely new continent so far away mm. and with no network of my own mm -hmm. apart from one child that I had and my husband and you know obviously I had his family and he sort of gave me his friends and said here there you go yeah but then you know it's not like you inherit you know a bunch of people and off you go you have to <laughs> nurture friendships and yeah, you have to build your own and and I had to rebuild all my work networks as well because mm. you know I was I was working in in in, in the UK and in Europe and, and, and in the US and all of a sudden I was here and no one knew me and and I, I was you know someone's wife and it was like oh didn't even think of that so I just had to literally knock at everybody's door and saying hi you don't know me but mm. this is what I'd like to do and um, and um, yeah. And you're a new mum, you know. And I was a new mum, and I was a bit isolated. And yes. then soon after we relocated, I was pregnant with my second child as well. So yeah. it was a bit. It was it was isolating for sure. Um, and also the you know the cities that you've lived in, they're cities that you, you go out a lot. You you're very social. They're they're big cities that are late night cities that mm. are happening and. You know, coming to Sydney, there's probably an adjustment in terms of you know that kind of um, outside lifestyle, like that lifestyle outside of your home. Yeah, becomes there is, and especially when because you know when the, when you have a a young child Small as well, because yeah. you know things change and and you know you make adjustments because you also you want to. And I, I don't want to give the false impression that oh you have a child and your life as you know it is over. You, no. you can't want to be with your child. It's great 
great. Yes. It's a great yeah. thing to do. But obviously, if you don't have your network of um, people that support you, then it can become really uh, lonely. Mm. And Richard was quite busy with work when we got back, which was lucky, but it also meant that I was on my own a lot. Yeah. So did you find, um, in part of that kind of cultural shift of moving to Australia, um, that in terms of how you represented yourself, did that change? Did you start to kind of style yourself differently, wear different clothes as a... Well, definitely the, the, the climate was more... Um, was milder, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. throughout the seasons. I mean, I complain about Sydney winter because I like to complain about Sydney winter, but really, I mean... Come on, but you you've experienced much much oh, colder than, than this. Yeah, yeah. Look, and snowy winters. Yeah. And, you know, so that's a, it's a, yes, yeah. definitely. But is it that is it the the lack of distinct season that you you kind of miss, or is it? Oh no, I don't. You miss just winter. got so used to. I the don't heat. miss winter. Yeah. I am. I'm fine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I could actually move to Queensland. Yeah, yeah. Easy. So, but have, do you do you wear? Um, like you know, there, there is a certain aesthetic. I, I, having lived in London and New York myself, I know that I loved living in those cities partly because I could just get dressed as you can you as dress up a bit more. Yeah, you dress, I feel like I, I can dress down in Sydney. And I, do you like that? Yeah, do you yeah. enjoy that? Yeah, yeah. it's simple. It's, yeah, yeah. And it doesn't mean that you know you you don't have to look after what what you're wearing, but you know you just um, it's just a bit less. Um, uh, curated, I suppose. It's a mm. bit more spontaneous and, and practical. And um, I like I, I do like my jeans and singlet scenario. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you, there's um, there's a sens- sensuality to the way that you uh, address food, right? You've uh-huh. you've said that um, that your your cooking is like a love letter to the ingredients. Yeah, um, <laughs> Do you do you find that you bring that sensuality and intimacy into how you represent yourself and what you wear? I never thought of it, um, but I suppose because if we want to, if I want to compare it to my cooking, my cooking is very simple and it's quite, you know, it's 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 all based around essential ingredients mm. and simple techniques yeah. and just putting very few things together that go so well together and mm. that you don't have to add anything to disguise what's there. Yeah. And so I would say that yes, probably that's um, Your wardrobe's the same. That's my like okay, so I, I went out Saturday night and had a big night out and and also because I've got quite strong features, so mm. I don't like to over accessorize myself because yeah. otherwise there's a, just a bit too much of yeah. me. There's like all the hair, the eyebrows. <laughs> I don't think there could be too much like, of oh. <laughs> So, you know, I just found that I was wearing a black dress and boots. I had no jewelry. Mm-hmm. I had one like a thin bangle, yeah. no rings. I have no earrings yeah. and just lips. Yeah. And that's enough. Yeah. But. I do admire people that can really carry the accessories. I'm just yeah. not good at it as well, so yeah. I just I would make a mess of it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, going back to how you got into food, uh, you you came to Australia. You were a mum at home, and you were seeking a creative outlet. Mm. And it was actually your mum that suggested you do a food blog, which at the time would have been quite a progressive kind of thing for a mum to suggest I know, to a daughter. I Italian mum. Yeah. But, you know, my mum is very progressive, yeah. as I was telling you before. So she was, I think she could tell that I was, 
you know, getting a bit like angsty. And, yeah, yeah. And by that time, I'd had my second baby, and he was like an angel baby. And Rafi was at daycare a few days a week, and I was really just getting a bit bored. And um, and she said, oh, you know, everybody's got a foot blog these days. And I'm like, hmm, okay. So <laughs> I just have to learn how to write in English and <laughs> I take photos and no biggie. Yeah. So at the beginning, it was really not. It was really basic, and I I just used it as uh, an archive of the family recipes, to be honest. And then it was only, you know, a few months in, and people were sort of commenting, and and I'm like, oh, people are reading this. I better <laughs> do spell checks and <laughs> you know buy a camera. Yeah. Um. And and to uh, some um, reasons that are still a mystery to me, I just the algorithm made made it possible that it was visible a lot and people mm. found it and publishers found it. Yeah. And so I got um, a book deal and then kind of really quickly snowballed from there and I realised after the first book, I, which I thought was, okay, so I'm not writing a cookbook and that's it. Yeah. But it wasn't going to be a one-off. It mm. was going to be, there was going to be like a second book and a first show and then columns on magazines and it was like, oh, hang on, I think I'm given a chance at a career here, yeah. you know, and so I took it really seriously. Yeah. So so your mum was, well, is a progressive thinker and obviously in terms of food, uh, you, you've um, borrowed from your mum's and your grandmother's cooking, is that correct? It is correct. And my brother, who's a trained chef. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So in um, in terms of like that heritage of style, do, do you have you borrowed uh, the way you represent yourself from your mum or your grandmother? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, my paternal grandma died when I was a teenager, and I was, you know, too into myself to appreciate her food legacy, and so I I never learned to do. Um, the food that she mm. used to cook for us. I mean, I've tried since, obviously, yeah. to replicate those flavors, but to be honest, I you have keep, to watch uh, those I women, just, don't yeah, you? Yeah, <laughs> it's just it's a different set of skills that um, I mean, those hands. It's just different. But with my maternal nonna, because she was terminally ill, right. and I was that bit older, and yes. I said to her, "If you have, if you can, just." Let's just uh, spend a few days in your kitchen mm. and teach me everything you know. And she did. Yes. And she did. So we had all these consecutive family dinners uh, for a series of days where, you know, we just cooked all of Nonna's best yeah. dishes. Yeah. How long ago we, was this? This was, well, um, was, would have been the late 90s. That's okay. When she died, yeah. yeah. Um, so you would have still been quite young I was in, to take that on board. I was probably 21, yeah. I suppose. Yeah, yeah, 21, 22, I would say. Um, so definitely old enough to know what was going on. Yeah. And that at, because everybody in my family loved her cook, And she, her mm. cooking was so simple. Yes. Like unadorned, like, you know, just slopped on the plate with no... No micro herbs, mm. no fancy anything, yeah. no, no edible flowers, no, no foams. <laughs> like, what you see is what you get, but what you get is like a cuddle from heaven. Yeah. And so um, everybody was very happy that she passed on the legacy because yeah. then, you know, we can still enjoy those, those meals. Yeah. Uh, it's the, there's some, not to quite the same extent. It's no. just different, but because it's not her hands making it. But, you know, sometimes you just feel like when you're making a recipe that belonged to someone you love that's not there anymore and it just makes you time travel again or conjures up that person into 
you know, your kitchen, it's, um, it's always a beautiful thing. I, ha- I can 100% relate to that. My, my grandmother was the cook in my family, but my mum was known for making a, a spinach pie, spana Oh, yeah. And um, people would get her to make it. But my mum my was a very technical cook, so everything was very precise uh, and organised. My grandmother was the cook that through all the love and a the bit, heart and soul with no a bit rough around the edges but no recipe no no following yeah. of anything it was all just a feeling bit of you this know. bit of that exactly but my my mum since passed and uh one of the things i had to make sure i needed to get from her before yeah. she she went knowing she was very sick was her spanakor bitter recipe and i i really do um feel what you're saying every time I cook when you it, make it the smells because you know that's the thing I know of her cooking is yeah. is is that smell it, it encapsulates her and it's it's a really nice thing for me now to have because I and feel to like be able to pass, to it on pass to your on. children yeah because my daughter my both my kids love it and uh and they know that it's that was their their grandmother who they never got to meet that was oh, her yeah right. yes so she had anyway that's a long story but uh they never got to meet her, but you know, I guess like yourself, you you, I have enjoyed passing on my heritage to yeah. my kids through food. But I also know, style-wise, I'm very much like uh, you know, borrowing from images of my mother and my grandmother growing up. But I'm sure you would make it look super pretty. <laughs> my food? Yeah. No, my food. Really? My food is very. Very Mediterranean. That there's no abundant, there's no but rough around yeah. the edges. Oh, nice. I, I can do a beautiful <laughs> cheese platter, and and I can dress a table like nothing else. But but my food is is heart and soul. I would feel like there That's is there is more. I'd like to come to yours first. <laughs> um, but yeah, getting back to the style part, you had these beautiful Milanese women in your life, did they kind of represent all that Milan women kind of tend to conjure up as an image or...? Um, Well, not really in the sense that no one in my family was originally from Milan. Okay. So my mum's family was was from Abruzzo. Mm. And so although both my mum and her middle sister um, were basically brought up in Milan, mum was... I think 12 when the family moved to Milan and my auntie was probably five or six. So they were brought up here, but they were Abruzzese. They are. Well, mm. my auntie since passed, sadly, but they right. fierce Abruzzese And women. what does that mean? What does it mean to You them? don't want to mess yeah. with them. <laughs> Is it they kind of the same you, Sicilian like, kind of connotation? It's, um, it's, a, it's a proud um, quietness that... Right. You know, they'll give you the still eye and you'll die in the inside because you don't know what you've done, yeah. but you've done something, <laughs> all right? <laughs> so it's the icy stare that only Abruzzese women can master that well. There's yeah. a, there's a. Have you got that down, Pat? I'm working on yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm working on it. But, you know, Abruzzese are known to be forte e gentile, strong and gentle. Okay. And I think those two qualities really inhabit in the women of Abruzzo. They will take down a bear if yeah. they had to. Yeah. And there's bears in those mountains. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm saying... <laughs> they probably They did. probably have. Yeah. yeah. So, um, and it's funny because my... Their younger sister, Barbara, she was born and raised in Milan. Right. And so her upbringing was very different from my aunt's and my mom's. And she's more of a Milanese woman. Right, okay. Than my mom and my auntie. Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah. Uh, or were. Yes. Yeah. And then from uh, from my from my from my dad's side, my my nonna was from Emilia Romagna, and it it was just a completely different um, uh, culture, and it's all completely centered around food and right. the abundance of it. And yeah. it's the land of parmigiano, prosciutto, tortellini, right. all the things. So how you represent yourself is is less important than the food that you oh, put definitely. on the table. Yes. Yeah. 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 So. Um, you're obviously, you know, your food carries so much of who you are. If there was a, a particular recipe that you would say defined you and, and your style, what would it be? God, I'd better pick a good one. <laughs> <laughs> this is so hard. You know what? I'd say I'd say it's probably bread. Yeah. Um, because what you see is what you get. Um, and... You know, you can pretty it up, you know, you can doll it up and yeah. do all the curling and putting all the makeup, you yeah. know, by putting, you know, olives or nuts or seeds on top and stuff. But what you get is something that intrinsically is simple and mm. and that, you know, just wants to be loved, <laughs> which is me. Yeah. I just want to be loved. I'm a Leo, so I just want people to really oh, like me. Oh, my daughter's me. a Leo. <laughs> you know what we're yeah, like. We're yes. so, like, <laughs> terrible with that stuff. And 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 we need nurture. Yeah. I, it's, it's that bread baking is a simple enough process. Yeah. But if you don't give it love, it doesn't rise. Yeah. And, and I think that that's... Pretty much. That's a beautiful analogy. Yeah. That's great. Um, so, uh, what is cooking for you now? What, what's on the on the plate for um, <laughs> projects at the moment? Um, well, I've just finished writing my fifth book. Oh my goodness! Yeah, talk about <laughs> you know <laughs> going back to the blog. I know it's crazy. Um, and um, and um, I will start filming. Um, the next season of my cooking show. So what's the what's cook like an Italian that, season two? Right. Soon. Yeah. And the cookbook is. And the cookbook I can't I can't disclose right much. Yeah. Yet, but it'll come out next year. Yeah. And you, do you love filming? You love yes, I do. It's it, especially with this show because we 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 keep the crew really tight because mm. we film at my house, right. which is great idea in theory but also it's like oh my god you guys are still here yeah <laughs> get yeah. out of my house you know? <laughs> but um um we all really get along and we never have to order out because we just eat whatever we yeah. cook yeah. and great. we set out um an outdoor kitchen in the garage area so we've got a, a small team of people that do some of the prepping there and so there's it's just um and then a lot of the times the, the my friends who participate as guests they stay on and then they start cooking for us and it's just it's literally like uh, an extended version of the show that we we wish we could fit in in the 30 hour the 30 minute format we've got but yeah because the behind the scenes is really yeah, that's delicious the best bit. yeah yeah <laughs> everybody tucking in at the end and mind you with covid i'm not sure how we're going to do that we'll yeah. probably have to set up where there's a will, place. there's a way. I'm we'll sure we'll find a way. Yeah, you'll figure it out. So moving forward, you were just talking about your Saturday night out mm. and you know the simplicity of what you wore. And I did see your Instagram post, and and you you wrote on your Instagram, as you're getting older, the the skirts are getting shorter. Yes. And who could blame you with those legs? 
<laughs> I had a moment of vanity. Oh, I it was, did not. I, I don't do that very often, but I did like that dress. <laughs> it, was, it looked amazing on you. Um, but you see my point with, you know, yeah. the, the hair is a big thing and it's like you have to keep the dress minimal. Yeah. It, well, that was too minimal in the sense that there wasn't much of it, <laughs> but I didn't put, you know, necklaces or anything. What do you see your 70-year-old self dressing oh, like? I, want, <laughs> I was having this conversation with my husband a while back saying, I just want to be those people in a room full of other people where we know what we're up to. Yeah, yeah. We know. Yeah. We're cool. <laughs> we still do all the good stuff. Yeah. And I'm yeah. going to leave it at that. Yeah. But that's where, I, yeah, hopefully. Where and how, how do you see yourself dressing at, at that stage of your life? Well, maybe the, sh- the skirt, not that shirt. Uh, <laughs> not short. that shirt? I don't. I, you know what? I don't know because, I mean, I remember when I turned 30 and I thought, oh, okay. Because when I was 20, the idea of turning 30 was like, <gasps> so old. everything is going to go pear-shaped. And then I remember <laughs> turning 40 and thinking, oh, God. And I was like, okay. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't, I think. Age is just another label that they've slapped upon us yeah. and we have to deal with it because people want to box us and so it's like, oh, this is your next stage in life because you are this age or you're that age or you're too young for that. Says who? You know what I mean? It's yeah. like, mm-mm. So 70, I mean, there's there's some guys in their 70s who train at CrossFit oh, yeah. with me. Yeah. Oh well. Age is definitely so, not a number for those guys. Well, let's hope you're still wearing your miniskirts. Exactly. <laughs> Sylvia, thank you so much for coming today and sharing your style story with me. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you here. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you. In the world of food, Sylvia is celebrated for her unfussy, approachable cooking that honours her rich Italian heritage whilst aiming to please and made to be loved. This style's not reserved for the kitchen and Sylvia offers these tempting qualities to both her personal manner and her understated wardrobe. And while she prefers to keep things simple, her humour, warmth and creativity are always peppered with a deep passion for who she is, what she does and where she's from. This passion is the core ingredient that makes her sizzle and it's simply Sylvia's style to share her joy, break her bread and bring everyone around the table. If you enjoyed this episode of Style Stories, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as always, thanks for listening.